at their role and their, their connection with the early church, we're going to start with the leaders, okay? Does anybody remember who were the two, probably the two most prominent leaders in the first few years of the church? Close. John was one, you're right. Who else? James, he actually, yeah, he, he shows up more later, but yes. Who's the, who's the other one? I thought I heard it. That's later. Peter, right. Okay, so we have, we have Peter and John at the beginning, and, and James was another that comes later. In fact, uh, James was later called a pillar of the church. But we have, John was kind of the silent partner. He's always with Peter, but Peter's kind of the megaphone, right? He, he's the megaphone of the church, and we know that these other two, James and John, were very involved. And then, of course, later there's Saul of Tarsus, um, who became Paul. But, but while those guys received top billing, so to speak, the other nine apostles, including Matthias, were also, they were heavily involved in everything that was going on. And so with that in mind, let's look at verse uh, 12 again. Luke says, now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Okay, so a few weeks back we talked about signs and wonders and, and how they were generally referring to supernatural, miraculous events. Now how often do we get to see supernatural, miraculous events today? I'm not talking about the Cubs winning the World Series a few years back. That was, that was pretty amazing, but that's not a miracle, okay? Some of you probably think it's a miracle if I get through the message without saying something dumb off script, and, and that's probably true. Um, and, and, and by the way, getting out of here at 1130 may also be a miracle. I'm kidding. It's, <laughs> I'm talking about legit miracles. Does that happen often nowadays? Do we see actual miraculous things happening nowadays? Say that again. Not in this country so much? Yeah. What? And it probably does happen more than we think. Yeah. I, I think it, de it depends on our definition of often. Which, by the way, if you say often, you're saying it incorrectly. I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> Not in the notes, but if you pronounce the T, that is incorrect. Okay, moving on. Um, every time, every single time that a person comes to repentant faith in Christ, we know that's in conjunction with a new birth by the Holy Spirit of God. And so that's a miracle, amen? Right, okay. So I believe that sometimes God also will, he'll change a person's circumstances because of prayers, don't you? Don't you believe that? Okay, because uh, perhaps maybe he, he turns a tumor into something benign instead of malignant. Or sometimes it just makes it disappear entirely. You know, that is a miracle, when that happens in response to prayer. But, but we don't often get to see a person that's lame from birth receive the ability to walk. Okay, so let me ask you the same question that, that it occurs to me as a pastor. Okay, if a person has the blessing and the responsibility of being a leader in a local congregation today, what, if anything, could they learn from this passage? How could a leader in 2021 in a, in a church body in McKinney, Texas, apply this verse to their own context. I mean, are signs and wonders being done by, by our hands? Most likely not. We're not apostles, or certainly not in the same sense. Okay? So what then is the application? And I, I think it's revealed partway through the sentence, in the word, listen, in the word regularly. Regularly. Not metamucil. Okay? It means the norm. It means consistency. 
And even if, even if today's church leadership hasn't received the ability church body that God has given us the duty and the honor to shepherd. And as the main, as the main teaching pastor of Crossroad, uh, my most prominent duties, according to scripture, we're going to get there in Acts chapter 6, are prayer and the ministry of the word. And that's a sermon for another day. But, but, uh, so I'm not going to get too deep into it, but it's, it's important that we as elders and that the church body at large understand that our main duties as elders, that's not just to steer the ship, okay? Biblically, teaching and prayer are the most pressing ministry of the elders in a church. But, but shepherding in general, and especially shepherding people, requires regular service, requires consistency. The ability to teach, and, and not just from the pulpit, but to teach those individuals whom God has, has led us to develop relationship with. And this is, this is hugely important, okay, to what, what pastors, what elders, leaders to become able, right? But we can certainly come alongside a fallen brother or sister. We can help them to stand up. We can help them to walk along the path. That is our job. That's our duty. That's our privilege. And this isn't just the honor and duty of church leadership, is it? I mean, if you're a parent, that God has graced you with the opportunity to do this every day in the context of your home. Every day. And it really hit me the morning that I was typing this paragraph that time only goes one direction. If you saw that, that melancholy post on Facebook, that was when this hit me, okay? It was right around that time. Your kids aren't getting any smaller. And they're probably not becoming more easily influenced by you as they grow. So, so use the time wisely that you have. Use it wisely. And this isn't just for parents. If you have employees under you or, or, or friends who listen to you. Or, or listen, kids. Kids. Bury your kids especially. I'm going to just... Okay. If you have younger siblings... You've been given the ability to have a positive influence on someone else. Give me eye contact, Jonathan. Michael. Yeah? Yeah, Colt? You're like, I don't have any younger siblings. That's okay. You have influence. We have influence, people, okay? Everyone reaches an age, well, everyone who reaches an age, I guess I should say, when they have accountability for their actions, will, at some point, lead someone else. We need to realize this, okay? So, so while this is, this is specifically referring to the apostles, it has application for all of us, okay? This matters for all of us, okay? Not only those in church leadership. So be, be diligent at making disciples of those with whom God has blessed you. Be good stewards of the time and the relationships that you've been given. Let's read on. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. You've heard of Solomon's porch, right? He says, I mean, hey, y'all, I'm going to head to Home Depot and get a portico, swaying. You know, it doesn't sound quite right, does it? This was actually part of, of, of the temple in Jerusalem. This was a big spot where people would often meet. But, but, but. Why does it matter that they met at Solomon's porch? Because, listen, this movement, which was still called the way, it may have been brand new, but it, but it was not considered separate from Judaism at this point. I mean, any of the apostles would have said this was simply the fulfillment of the Jewish faith. Okay, there's, there's a reason they thought that, because it's true. 
Christianity is the fulfillment of the Jewish faith. That's why Messianic Jews refer to themselves as completed Jews. Because they have been given the fullness of faith in God through his Messiah, Yeshua. Yeshua, Hamashiach, the, the, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Who was, incidentally, a Jew. The Jewish Son of God. So until, until the Gentiles were allowed into the church, which doesn't even happen until Acts chapter 10. Uh, and we'll, we'll get to that part of the story in a few months. <laughs> Maybe in 2022, we'll see. Uh, the, church, the church was entirely Jewish early on. And, and until the persecution began, they met in the synagogues. They met in the temple alongside their fellow Israelites, many of whom were not fully believers yet. Isn't that cool if you really think about it? But anyway, Luke says they were all together. I personally think, basing, basing this on what I know from Scripture, okay, that Luke is not just talking about proximity. Okay, now they, they were obviously together physically, but they were also together in spirit. They were unified as well as side by side, okay? They were of one mind. And this, this was hugely important in the first few years of the church, especially because without unity, the movement, the leadership in the church was all on the same page at this point. And again, as we see later in Acts, it didn't always stay that way. You know, unfortunately, it, 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 we see different problems between Paul and Barnabas, for instance. Um, later in, in Galatians, we read about a, a confrontation between Paul and Peter, but ideally, that's what you want for the leadership of your church. You want everybody to be on the same page. You want everyone to agree as much as possible. And it's absolutely essential that your church leadership agree when it comes to the church is not going to go anywhere because there has to be clarity about the saving message of Jesus. If anyone denies that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, or if they don't believe that he died as the atonement for our sins or if they don't believe that he was physically resurrected, they have no business being in church leadership because they are apparently not even Christians. Those are, in, not just, those are essential parts of the gospel. We must believe this. Okay? Now, their lesser doctrine also needs to be based on the word of God. But, of course, the gospel is key. And likewise, in Scripture, we see, um, it teaches us, in, in 1 Timothy, teaches us in Titus, that there are some moral imperatives and there are some behavioral uh, qualifications, qualities, characteristics, traits that are necessary for those who are elders and who are ministers in the body of Christ. But here, though, I think, I think Luke's point is just to show the oneness, the togetherness, the unity of the church leadership, as well as they had a bond of fellowship with one another. And by spending a lot of time serving alongside one another, the apostles were sharpening one another. And they were growing in their, their ministerial capabilities. And it, it, if it's important for all Christians to fellowship, and it is, right? It's important for Christians to fellowship, right? Even when there's, even when there's some kind of danger in the air, we still need to fellowship with one another. It, it's certainly vital for church leaders to do so. And then to, to really carry that example to the rest of the flock. I hope that makes sense. Uh, let's keep going. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. I don't think that means that, that, I don't think Luke is saying that everybody's like, let's stay away from the apostles. I mean, you know, let's, let's keep away, let them hand down edicts from their ivory tower. You know, that, that's not what, what he's saying. Okay, I think he's saying that the people understood that the apostles had been set aside by God for the purpose they were fulfilling. And they, they had a, a special dispensation of authority and, and that there was no need to add to that particular number. 
You know, at the time, they even cast lots to fill in that 12th place. You may remember that. That was back in chapter 1. Now, I don't think that applies in the same way today at all, okay? I mean, because Scripture actually teaches if anyone wants to be an elder, then he desires a noble task, okay? So I don't feel led to dig too deep there, but I I do want to pause for a moment on the phrase held in esteem. Why were the apostles held in esteem? I'm going to tell you one reason that I know it wasn't that they were held in esteem. It wasn't just because of their title. Okay? It wasn't just because they were called apostles. It was due uh, to a couple of reasons, I think. First and most obvious, they showed power from God, right? And the authority that they had was based in their calling by God. But I don't think it was just because they were performing miracles. I mean, I, I really personally... I believe it had something to do with their constant service to the church. Their praying, their teaching, their leadership. You know, the apostles, they were earning the esteem that the other believers had for them. There was an ethos there. Not just a pathos. They had credibility because they were living it. And too often in society, y'all, we we get caught up in in titles and positions. You know, the the Roman church and and a lot of mainstream denominations, they make up these hierarchical systems, right? And and, and people are like, I'm going to work my way up. (laughs) And that is not real. That's not the point of church leadership. It's not. Just like, you know, I know some churches, well, we're going to make that guy a deacon for a while and see if he does all right. And then we'll make him an elder. That's not how it works. Those are two different giftings. Anyway, leaders in a church should become greater the same way that Jesus said they would, (laughs) by serving, right? Like all Christians. And because of this, I I want to encourage Christians to to recognize that church leaders who serve properly deserve esteem. And and not just because uh, they have this this title. You know, as as a vocational pastor, I have the incredible and an undeserved privilege of being paid a salary to learn about the Lord and make disciples for him. That is awesome. That is awesome. I'm so grateful, so thankful. There's, there, I don't believe there's any more important thing for a person to do for a vocation, and I am so incredibly grateful that I've been blessed with this job and with this calling and with this congregation, but, but the people who really deserve to be honored are the folks who are doing this without drawing a paycheck. I just want to point that out. You know, the, the rest of our elders and, and nearly all of our ministry leaders are volunteers. Most of them have other duties with work and family. And so, so the things they are doing, they are doing it with no compensation in this life. You know, in a church this small, I could probably name 25 people who are involved in any given week with what happens here. And there are others who, who clean, who send cards, who, who simply but faithfully pray over that church prayer list. Thank you all. Thank you for your service to the Lord, for your service in this body. But specifically, our volunteer elders often experience heartache and lost sleep because of the responsibilities that they have taken on for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of this church body. And I want to share a couple of verses from Hebrews 13 to honor them and, and, and just share how to encourage them and encourage you in how to show them esteem. Uh, Hebrews 13, verse 7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. 
So, so show them esteem by following the example that they set of study and of service and how they, they minister in their family. And then verse 17, a few verses later, says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Okay, now I'm not here to drum in that first part, okay? I mean, if, if, if anyone's conscience needs a swift kick, then go Holy Spirit, that's fine. But the, the second part of that is really huge. Do you understand that these men... Will you all stand up, elders? Just the elders. Just the elders. Danny, come in here. <laughs> Just the men who are standing here before you today will have to give an account before God for how we have shepherded his flock. Do you realize that? Do you guys realize that? <laughs> That's a handful. Whether they've, we have to, to have an account before God, whether you guys have been fed adequately, whether we've helped to bind you up when you're, when you're injured, whether we've loved selflessly, that is a terrifying responsibility. Thank you, guys. And, and I, I want to just tell you, this verse concludes, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. <laughs> now, I want to add, there is no hidden agenda with this teaching. Okay, this is not meant to be self-serving. There's no one that I'm aware of here that's trying to be rebellious against the church leaders or trying to sabotage anything. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. There's no, uh, you know, the, the point is, this is scripture. <laughs> and I want you to take it in. I want you to plug it in. And I want you to let it grow you. Okay, so it's about believers in general. What about believers in general? I mean, there's the obvious carryover from the last point is that church members should appreciate their leaders. Okay, especially those that are volunteering their service. Uh, but there's plenty more we can get from that. And some of it's observational, some of it's instructive, and so we're going to keep going. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Now, to me, that's like, I'm like, wow, more than ever? Because remember, we've already seen the first sermon, the first Christian sermon ever preached by Peter brought 3,000 converts. That's a lot of people, right? And then there's a couple more thousand that are added later. And then we, we add in women and children because they almost certainly were just counting men because that's how they were back then. But it, it's almost mesmerizing to just to read the, about the explosive continued growth of the church. I mean, do you think it's accidental? I don't. I'm going to just say that up front. But do you think it's accidental that this description appears right after the frightening case of Ananias and Sapphira being struck dead for lying to the Holy Spirit? And yet the growth didn't just go, oh, whoosh, stop. No, it's continuing. Even after, even after discipline occurred in a kind of a harsh and sudden way, the, the church is still growing like gangbusters. And y'all, this is important. This is important to take note of because sometimes the church has to be pruned in order to grow. Now, what does that mean? Consider 1 Corinthians 5. I'm just saying consider it. You don't need to flip there today, um, but, but you may want to write down the reference to read it later. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul explains that the church needed to literally disfellowship someone. In other words, kick them out because they were living in gross, unrepentant sin. And we can read between the lines pretty easily that the church was so immature that they were proud of the tolerance that they had for this particular person and his sin. And Paul's like, guys, this is shameful. Make it stop. 
There's a place where he says, even the, the pagans know this is wrong. He tells them to remove the offender from among them in hopes that his sin will not infect the rest of him, or the rest of them. And also in hopes that he will be brought back to repentance. And we find out later in 2 Corinthians that it apparently did. He was brought back to repentance. Now listen, church discipline works, y'all. It does. Church discipline actually works. Or at least it can work. Ananias and Sapphira were a special case. I don't recommend executing members who fudge on their giving. Okay? That's God's prerogative. No, I'm joking. Um, But seriously, the church has to be not afraid to clean house. When we allow garbage, when we allow wickedness to run rampant in the church, then we marginalize or even negate our effectiveness in the kingdom of God. I mean, look, look how many of the mainline denominations have begun ordaining, professing, practicing homosexuals as ministers. Many of them have. Practicing that as a sin against God. And others are embracing the the racist, hateful mindset of critical race theory. And these churches, they just, they become empty. When they embrace this, when they allow this to infiltrate, they are advocating sinful behaviors, sinful attitudes. They become as spiritually empty as a tomb. And when the the people in the church practice the discipline that God commands, when when the church refuses to condone sin in its midst, it produces a holier crop of saved people. Now, unfortunately, nowadays a person who is unrepentantly sinful can just go down the street and find another church that will accept their practices if they have been disciplined. But that is not the intent of discipline. It's not so so those people will go ruin another congregation. Listen, if all churches, if all congregations would be faithful enough to the word of God to firmly but gently confront sin, then God might use our consistent witness as his bride to change the heart of a sinner and draw that person back to him. Instead of saying, well, that's okay, you can do that here. If the church would stand firm with one another and be unified against sin, more people might be saved. Do you understand that? Do you accept that? If you don't think about it, just think about it. But as it is, guys, we've got a a battle to fight in this culture. There are so many false faiths out there. And yet on top of that, there are so many false Churches masquerading as the kingdom of God while advancing the morals of Satan. We must be gentle but firm, friends. And when we do that, I believe God brings growth to his church. And I don't mean Crossroad Christian Church necessarily, but the capital C church. You know, the, 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 the invisible church. God's people at large wherever they are in the world. And, and I don't, don't, don't just think I'm talking about general numbers here either. In fact, I think, I think the fakes are going to keep falling away and keep straying further away from the truth. But real, faithful, Christ-honoring Christians will continue to grow. That is the truth. Anyway, let's keep going. Um, uh, multitudes are added to the Lord, both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. His shadow! 
Okay, that's pretty intense. Who knows what evil looks in the hearts of men? Anybody? The shadow knows. I'm sorry, that was ridiculous and not in my notes. You're welcome. Um, we, we don't typically see that kind of healing anymore, right? Where God works directly and instantaneously through a person to heal someone else, especially not through their shadow. Okay, we don't usually see that. All right, But there's still some good stuff we can pick up in this text uh, from the example of these believers. A couple of things, okay? In fact, first, first it's clear, it's, it's extremely clear. They were faith-filled people. They, they were really faith-filled. They, they believed the power of Christ working through his apostles could perform miracles. And they, they had seen or they would heard enough even to convince them that it, the impossible could be possible through the power of God. It's a quick sidebar. If you've got something going on with one of your children, or with your spouse, or with your best friend, or with work, or something, and you think, this is impossible, this is never going to get cleared up, remember that God is faithful, and with God, the impossible is possible. Amen? Amen. End sidebar. Okay, so, since the word refers to them as, as believers... We know that their faith was not only in the power of Christ, but also in the person of Christ. Because remember, all of the believers at this point were Jewish. They all understood that Jesus was the Son of God. He, he was the Messiah they'd been waiting for. They understood that he died on the cross for their sins to save his people and, to, and that he rose from the dead. This, this was a non-negotiable thing that they believed. Okay, And anyone who was considered part of the church had professed that faith. They had been immersed in water in obedience to the command of the Lord, and they were steadily turning away from sin and turning toward God. So, by the way, that's also an apt description of a believer today. So if you think you're a believer in Jesus Christ and that description doesn't apply to you, then we should sit down over coffee and talk. There are things that Jesus demands of his followers. Believing the gospel about who Jesus is and what God did through him and confessing him and obeying him, including being immersed. Those are all part of the picture of what Jesus commands. So they're faith-filled, but they also, they also practiced lifestyle evangelism. And what does that mean? It means they lived their lives in such a way that they consistently were sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with other people. Now, how do we know that? Well, we know that because they were literally bringing people to where they could experience the power of the Lord. Now, folks, uh, applying that, that doesn't mean that you have to rush grandma to church because she broke her foot and the senior center dances tonight or whatever. I mean, I guess you can, but that's, that's not, that's not the, the most important kind of healing that happens here. That's the kind of healing that happens here. There's always going to be pain in this world. Always, 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 always going to be pain and suffering. That is part of this life. But the healing that happens here is the healing that happens here. It happens in our spirit, in our hearts, not in our bodies. Sometimes it even happens in our bodies, though. If God performs a miracle, it does happen sometimes. If you are practicing lifestyle evangelism like these early believers, then you are going to be making an effort to introduce spiritually sick people to the only doctor that can cure them. Do you understand that? 
Jesus Christ is the only doctor who can cure the spiritually sick. And I'm not talking about just bringing people to church. I'm talking about you share the gospel with them. You tell them about Jesus. You tell them your own testimony. You know, the, the Bible has the gospel according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But there's, there's a gospel according to Tracy. There's a gospel according to Dave. There's a gospel according to Trevor. You know, God has given us a testimony to share. What has the gospel done in you? What has it changed in your life? It's the gospel that we share. The content of the message of Christ must not change. Okay, who Jesus is, what God did, that must not change. But your experience of him, your own personal testimony, that may be what God uses to, to crack a stony heart and replace it with a heart of flesh. Anyway, so let's finish up. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. The final character I want us to look at today very quickly, super quick. It, it's in this sentence, and no, it's not the unclean spirits. It's the people, okay? Literally, the, the Greek word used here is the word for multitude or throng of people, okay? And, and it's, it's the word, it's set against the word translated believers, so I think it's referring to those who were not a part of the church, okay? So now what do we see here? It ties in with the previous verse and the previous point. The throng of outsiders was being blessed by the church in their midst. They were receiving healing from, from these diseases and these disabilities and these de demonic possessions. Not, not, as, not as the end-all be-all, but as the introduction to the power and the love of God is displayed through his church. Guys, this is the point of our mission. I want to make, I want to make this very clear. While we are not supposed to, to allow the ways of the world to infiltrate the church, we are not called to build a bubble and keep others at bay. We are called to bless the world by loving and living for Jesus Christ in a beautiful and visible way. Listen to me. I'm struggling with this this week. Listen to me. The world is not your ultimate enemy. The devil is. The devil is. We are here to bless the world. You know, in the long run, it may seem like, like the devil is an ally to the world. Bear in mind, he really is their enemy. Because he is, he is gleefully leading the world down the path to the eternal hell that was created for him. And we know the way out. We know him. The way, the truth, the life through whom no one will come to the Father without. So let's help one another. Let's help one another for certain. But let's also live to reveal Christ to outsiders in both our deeds and our words. You know, there's that old cliche, you might be the only Bible anyone ever reads. Jesus, listen, he's not just rescuing his church from the world, but he is also rescuing the world through his church. Do you see that? Do you, do you understand that? Jesus Christ is the means, but the church and the gospel is the mode. Jesus' redemption story 
is shared and is lived out by his bride, by his church, by his people. So, listen, I hope today wasn't too disjointed, but just in case, let's pull it all together, okay? God's church, when functioning properly, will involve leaders who serve believers, believers who live and share the gospel with one another and with the world, and a world which is blessed through that design. It's God's ordained design, okay? So ask yourself, is the church functioning properly? Are we doing our job? You know, are we being faithful to the mission? What about you individually? <laughs> are you being faithful to the mission? You, you cannot be part of this great endeavor if you're not a part of the body of Christ. So we'll start there. Uh, we're about to have an invitation. And if you are a person who has never put your faith in Jesus Christ, and I'm talking about the Jesus Christ of the Bible, not a created being. Jesus Christ who was in the beginning... <laughs> was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Talk about the Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Spirit. If you've never believed in that Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sins and who rose physically, rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, if you've not believed in Him, put your faith in Him right now, I am begging you. Because your only other option is hell. I can make it real clear. It's your only other option. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess, but hey, it's going to be too late if you don't do it on this side. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Jesus Christ of the Bible, if you have believed on him, but you've not gone through what, what he commanded, which is that you will profess your faith and be immersed in water, do that today. It's a little cold, but you'll survive. If you've already gone through those things, but you realize, look, I'm not living the life that Christ designed. I'm not, I'm not being faithful. I'm not being obedient. Then I challenge you today. I invite you to, to come forward and to make that confession and say, listen, I, I'm messed up. I need, guys, listen, we're all messed up. I'm really messed up. All of us. We need to be dedicated to Christ. And if we have to make that public confession, say, listen, I need to be rededicated to Jesus. That's good, too. If you just want somebody to pray for you because, man, you're struggling with something, come on up and sit down on the front row. I'll, I'll be happy to pray with you. Don't miss the chance today to do what the Holy Spirit leads, okay?